Thank you for joining us for another episode of COVID Conversations, a special presentation of OCPOD, the official podcast of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. These recordings began in December 2020 with the hope of discussing ongoing issues related to COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2. We hope you enjoy. This is COVID Conversations. I'm Erin Ransford, and I'm here with Dr. Ismail Nabil. Dr. Nabil is the Deputy Medical Director of Employee Health, Safety, and Wellness for the Mount Sinai Health System and an Associate Professor in the Department of Environmental Medicine and Public Health at the Icon School of Medicine. He is a Fellow of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine and is the incoming Chair of ACOM's Council on Scientific Affairs. Our guests today are ACOM's Director of Education, Heather Hodge, and the President of the Western Occupational and Environmental Medicine Association, Dr. Rupali Das. Dr. Das is a clinical professor in the Division of Occupational and Environmental Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, as well as the Medical Director for Zenith Insurance. She was previously Executive Medical Director of California's Division of Workers' Compensation and held various leadership positions in occupational and environmental health at the California Department of Public Health and California EPA. Today is March 3rd, 2022. On this episode, we discuss the return of live meetings and events and address the latest CDC recommendations for large gatherings in advance of the 2022 American Occupational Health Conference. Hi, Dr. Nabil, and hello and welcome to our guests, Dr. Rupali Das and Heather Hodge. Hi, Erin. Hi, Heather and Dr. Das. I'm so excited you're joining us. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate being invited to speak with you today. So today we wanted to talk about returning to in-person events and meetings. We're approaching on spring, which is the traditional meeting season for medical associations. We have Dr. Doss on the program today to talk about her experience with uh, having an in-person meeting in January and uh, Heather Hodge to talk about our upcoming American Occupational Health Conference. We definitely miss in-person meetings for sure. At least count me in as a person who wants to see colleagues and, and have a conversation, a live conversation, and uh, we have been uh, Zoomified or been online conferences for a long time. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think this this um, today's podcast will definitely sum things up really nicely. We have an experience um, in terms of VOMA, organizing a meeting. I'm curious to know how you end up doing it, right, uh, in the midst of the pandemic, before these new CDC guidance. Yes, thank you, Dr. Nabil. That it was in the middle of the pandemic um, and before the current guidance. The meeting we held was at the end of January, and uh, it was our WOMA Board of Directors meeting, which is traditionally held uh, in January, the first meeting of the year. And uh, I was in charge of organizing that meeting because this year I'm the president of WOMA. That meeting had been scheduled in the fall, early fall. And at that time, in the early fall of 2021, we uh, thought the pandemic was going to be over in early 2022, and it was going to be no problem. So we had a contract with the hotel and a non-refundable deposit and had the agenda set. Of course, then Omicron came about and... Uh, things changed, and it did not. It was not actually clear 
whether it was a wise decision to have an in-person meeting. One of the things I, I recall, um, I got a call from you, I, at least you connected with me, and we talked about at that time, Omicron was not on the horizon. It was more of a Delta receding at the time. And um, you had a couple of questions regarding how do we make sure that the participants are coming in are safe and we provide a safe environment for those individuals who are coming in to join in person. Yes, I contacted you, I think it was the end of December. And um, I contacted you because I was looking for guidance to make this meeting safe. We really wanted to have this in-person meeting. It's important to get together in person. The other reason we wanted to have this meeting in person is that we had planned to have uh, strategic planning this year, that is our big focus in WOMA, and we have a consultant, and it was all planned to be in person. It was not something that we felt could occur very easily online. When you decided to meet in person, uh, things were changing so fast. At any point, you decided that that might not be a good idea? Well, I could tell you I was really torn. I was very nervous. Uh, I really wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to keep it safe for everyone. I really wanted to have this in-person meeting, but I wanted to do the right thing and not expose people unnecessarily. So we were really weighing the uh, financial obligations as an organization where, you know, nonprofit, we're small, we have limited funds. We, um, If we had not had the in-person meet- meeting, we would have defaulted on funds, and I didn't want to be responsible for that. Uh, on the other hand, I really wanted to have this in-person meeting, so I really was looking for guidance on how to make this safe. First, is it okay to have it? Second, if so, how do we make it safe? So what did you end up doing? So there were a number of different things. I really uh, relied first on guidance, and the guidance in California really varied um, by county. So we looked at CDC guidance first. Federally, there, there was no federal or state guidance that said at that time that we shouldn't gather in a meeting of the size we were intending. I think there were some restrictions on gatherings that were much larger, maybe as large as 500. Our group size was 20 to 30 people. Mm -hmm. So there were no restrictions federally in the state or locally on uh, not gathering for a group of our size then looked at the county guidance. This meeting was in Napa County. There are a lot of counties within close proximity and a neighboring county, Sonoma County, did have more restrictive guidance on maybe gatherings of up to 100 were banned and Napa County did not have guidance. So there was, it was very confusing. Uh, Napa and Sonoma, about, you know, know, neighboring counties, they had guidance that was not completely in sync but nothing uh, specifically banned our gathering uh, of a group that size. Very interesting. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. One state, but different counties have different guidance. And that might have helped uh, in sort of making a decision of where to host the meeting. The, the meeting was actually uh, hosted at the hotel where we are planning our annual conference in the fall. That's why we chose that hotel. That had been, the, the conference location had been decided last spring, spring of 2021. And that's traditionally what WOMA does, is to have the January Board of Directors meeting at the same location as the conference that will be held in the fall. So it was, uh, I guess, serendipity that it was not chosen in a county that had restrictions. 
Um, Sonoma County at the time was experiencing a very high number of cases, and the county health officer was more, I guess you could say, health protective uh, and, and conservative. She she is, you know, health protective. I would say than the neighboring counties, and and that would those two things I think explain the increased restrictions in that county. Napa County doesn't uh, have as many restrictions for a variety of reasons. So I'm curious to know how did the uh, people who are coming in to meet in person reacted when you asked them, what were we going to be meeting in person? So the reaction was mixed. And I would say that we had several different checks and balances within our organization. We have the executive committee, we have the board, and we have the members. This was a meeting of the board of directors. It also included some of our com- committee chairs who are not on the board. Um, but it wasn't a meeting for the entire membership. Um, so the first level of controls within our organization is the executive committee. And once I spoke to you, Dr. Nabil, and you uh, gave me some guidance on some measures we could take to keep the meeting safe, I then took it to our executive committee. At the time, my uh, suggestion, my initial suggestion was to require proof of vaccination by then that the booster was suggested, but not required because hospitals weren't requiring it until the end of January. And this was uh, January 22nd when we held the meeting. And uh, initially I wanted proof of vaccination as well as proof of a negative COVID test. I brought that to the executive committee and there was not unanimous agreement even within the executive committee on, uh, some people felt that was too restrictive. They felt it would be very difficult to get proof of negative COVID test. And when I looked around, the guidance on proof of negative COVID tests really varied considerably. And there was a, uh, people were having a hard time getting tests at that time. I, I can just imagine the amount of uh, questions you have and the things that you're going through. And I, I think that really highlights, as an occupational medicine physician and providers, to really understand the complexity of decision-making that we go through. Uh, even organizing a meeting. There are a lot of stakeholders, a lot of policies in place, a lot of challenges that we have to face, and um, things were changing. Delta had a long incubation period compared to Omicron that we saw a shortened incubation period. So uh, you were up against a very interesting and very difficult decision-making for sure. So what did you end up doing regarding a mask policy? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we we strongly encouraged people to mask. However, I we, this meeting was held in a private facility, a hotel. And uh, the reason we didn't say that masks were mandatory is that I felt that we couldn't have uh, requirements that went above the, the physical location of where the meeting was held. So the guidance that we gave uh, people attending was that masks are strongly encouraged. We also had a separation between people that uh, that was more than what we would normally hold. I would say the majority of people were masked throughout the meeting with KN95s or N95s because they're healthcare practitioners. However, there was eating and drinking and, and, and so it wasn't 100%. So some some individuals might have chosen not to come in in person, and how did you counsel them? How how you help individuals who are not able to attend have a similar experience? 
So I didn't know to the last minute who was going to attend. I was very concerned that people would not attend and we would, that the point of having an in-person meeting would uh, be lost. And I was, I would say, pleasantly surprised that everyone who was healthy attended. There were people who, who did not attend because they had upper respiratory illnesses that were either tested COVID negative or maybe they were in the middle of being tested. Those were the people who did not attend. To my knowledge, no one refused to attend just on the basis of concern alone. Uh, however, concern was expressed to me prior to the meeting. Uh, some people wanted the restrictions. Some people wanted me to cancel the meeting. <laughs> some people uh, wanted uh, testing to be a requirement. But in the end, I think the very clear communication to everyone that vaccination was required and we did require uh, uh, people to show proof of vaccination before entering the room, the, the encouragement of masking and the request to test negative. We didn't require proof of testing, but I asked people to test um, within uh, 72 hours of arriving at the conference and to not attend either if they were symptomatic or if they tested positive. So uh, I guess for me, that was a compromise. We didn't require proof of testing, but we did ask people to test. So I, I do not know if everyone tested. I did <laughs> test and thankfully I was negative. So I think those reassurances are what encouraged people to attend. Did you have any hybrid or virtual participation options for those that either didn't or weren't able to attend in person? Yes, another great question. Thank you. And we did. We did have that additional reassurance in addition to the vaccination and testing and masking. We said for people who were not able to attend, we would make virtual attendance possible. The, the problem, logistical problem, is uh, that we were distanced. Uh, we did have the owl, so it turned you know, to record people who were speaking, but people were masked. And for people who were online and for the recording, which was occurring, note-taking was uh, occurring by someone who was online, the masking and the distancing actually made it um, difficult to hear people in the room. So uh, while virtual attendance was possible, it actually was a, you know, we need to do something differently if this is going to be a virtual and a live meeting. The audio considerations need to be taken into account to make virtual attendees have the same experience as those in the room, if they're, especially if they're being masked and distanced. And transitioning to uh, AOHC, we are offering a hybrid meeting option this year with both in-person attendance options, virtual attendance options, and essentially we are planning to to live stream each session to allow remote participants um, as well as accommodate those that are in the room. We haven't done that before. We've done fully virtual events. Like uh, we had our, our AOHC 2021 was very successful. It was a, a completely virtual event. Um, and the last time we had an in-person event was 2019. So this is this will be our first time having a completely hybrid event. And, um, it, you know, it, there are several logistical considerations, including increased expenses, because you're essentially having two meetings. <laughs> you're paying for two meetings. But the interesting part about, I think, this particular meeting and Dr. Das, what you went through is things are changing again. And there has been new guidance from CDC in terms of masking uh, and guidance. It has changed as we see the Omicron cases recede throughout the U.S. 
different states have changed their guidance. School has also changed their guidance in terms of masking kids. And the uh, state, particularly New York State, where I am from, have removed the mask requirement for indoor activities. So that is a significant change, no doubt. And uh, I'm curious to know, Heather, um, as you are going and marching into uh, organizing this meeting, which we are all looking forward to, how are you preparing for that as in light of new CDC guidance? Before we open registration, we, we as a staff, uh, talked a lot about how, what do we do here? How do we do this? And again, you speak to a lot of great points. I mean, it, there's I don't think there's been mass guidelines in Utah for a long time, even when Omicron was, was worrying through. And so we knew that we were going to have some kind of guidance in place. And, and obviously, you've, you've talked about this all already, but, you know, it, things are changing so fast. So we, we put together what we felt was the best guidelines. We did run it by the board. The board approved. And um, we still have those guidelines in place. But when it comes to, you know, we, we did in those guidelines say we would be following what the CDC said. So we will continue to do that. We'll continue to monitor. We are going to have masks available. I don't think we've made any kind of final decisions on what exactly we're going to tell people when they get to Salt Lake City. Um, you know, we'll continue to see how things unfold and 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 move forward accordingly. But um, it, it's it's a challenge. And you know, Dr. Das, one thing I was going to ask you is you you talked a little bit about you know just the financial implications. And you know, we we've got this huge meeting where we've got these minimums that we have to meet, and you know, we're hopeful that that we will meet those. But there's just so many variables that go into planning these things above and beyond the education piece of it for us for AOHC. You you know, you've got then these 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 hotel contracts that you're dealing with, these vendor contracts that you're dealing with, and you know you're kind of holding your breath, hoping everything comes together. But it is all changing so fast and so rapidly. And and um, you know we as an organization made a decision not to ask for proof of vaccination. We're asking people to attest to the fact that they're vaccinated. And part of that comes from just us talking with colleagues in the industry who did do the proof of vaccination. And it really kind of, it, it that was a challenge. So, you know, you, you had people that would show up on site and they didn't have that proof of vaccination. So, you know, then they were trying, you know, they were, for lack of a better word, there were some confrontations um, with those people. So I think it's, it's a challenge. There isn't one, I think, right way to do these things. And um, you, you know, you, you hope, especially with a medical group, that people will be honest and do the right thing for the organization themselves and others. Um, I, I think here we, we can certainly bring in what CDC is now recommending. Yes. It, it's, um, the change has been fairly profound and significant. Uh, previous guidance was most on the case counts. The current CDC guidance is now on um, new COVID-19 hospital admissions um, over previous week, percentage of hospital beds occupied by COVID patients, and new cases per 100,000 people over previous week. And they have defined it in, in low, medium, and high categories. And we, we definitely will have more in-depth conversations on the new guidance. But I, I, th I think that really helps, at least for organizers like yourself, uh, to have these kind of guidance, much simpler, concrete, and more focused on admissions or number of cases, um, surge, that really helps you plan forward. I was just looking actually earlier today at cases in Salt Lake just to look. And it, it was astonishing how 
it spiked so drastically and then went down so drastically in that Jan, you know, late December, early January period. I mean, it was it was really astonishing to see this graph where it just I mean, it went like, you know, way up, way down really fast. But, you know, earlier you were talking about Dr. Das, you were talking about different counties having different requirements. I mean, we're seeing that here in Illinois, just speaking locally. And I don't know if it's the same in other well, it's, obviously, it's the same in California, but even within the city of Chicago, you know, the private schools have said no mask, but the public schools are still requiring masks. But you don't have to wear masks here, but you do. You know, I mean, it's really all over the place. You know, a lot of theaters are still requiring proof of vaccination when you walk in. But but yet so it's, it's confusing for people in general, let alone I'm sure, you know, I'm sure we're as we get closer to AOHE, there will be a lot of questions and. And I can understand why, because it is all changing so fast. And there is such variations in these requirements by state, by counties, with, even within counties, even within cities. So it's it's it'll be a, it'll be a challenge, but we'll we'll get through it. And we're really excited about being able to meet in person again. So Rupali, I, I have a quick question regarding uh, testing. What kind of testing you end up recommending? It's a PCR versus antigen test? We left it up to the individual. We said that, uh, you know, because of the timeline and some people were traveling to the meeting and it may have been logistically difficult to get PCR, um, I did recommend the uh, Binax now for rapid antigen test, which can be proctored or a PCR test. I I do believe that some people did end end up getting a PCR test. And some people ended up probably testing with the antigen test. Um, But we didn't mandate any type of test. I just provided the information for them. Just wanted to make a comment on some of the things Heather said. I mean, so many, so much of what you said, Heather, just uh, brought back all these different decisions that we were trying to make at the time. And the uh, requirement to show proof of vaccination versus a test Um, We did have disagreement on that. We had different approaches for our conference last year as opposed to the board meeting this year. Uh, We were, I think the policy was partly decided by the size of the group. We were a small group. The policy was well communicated in advance. We're also a majority of people um, live in the, the San Francisco Bay Area where proof of vaccination was being required to enter restaurants and a lot of facilities. So people were used to it. I think if we were in a different state or these kinds of guidances weren't available, I think uh, the policy might have been different. So, yes, we were absolutely influenced by what was going on around us. But then we had to decide, okay, which of these policies are we going to uh, adopt? The other thing you mentioned was the rise and fall of cases in Utah. We were anticipating a fall in cases towards the end of January. And I think that sort of helped make the decision so, yes, we're going to move forward with this conference, even though right now, when we're deciding whether to proceed, cases are high, but we think they're going to start declining at the end of January. It was, it, as you said, I was holding my breath. I'm still holding my breath and hoping that everything stays on track before May. And, um, you know, there's certain things you just can't control. I, I'm hopeful that everything will stay on track and, and uh, we'll have a, a great meeting. I know we'll have a great meeting no matter what. But, yeah, there's just, again so many variables that go into this and um, makes it, you know, super challenging, I think, for everybody involved. So is there a mechanism for uh, members to connect with ACOM or a way to 
um, address concerns that some members might have coming in person? We don't have something in place now. I think if we see an uptick in, in concerns or questions, we've, as far as I know, only had one comment so far about the policy. You know, for what for what it's worth, I, I actually had an outside group reach out to me to ask if they could steal what we had used as our policy because they liked it so much. And so I, you know, I'm not sure I, I, I take that as a compliment, but, um, you know, it, yeah, we don't yet because we haven't seen, you know, registration has been open since I believe mid-December, mid to late December. And, and, um, I believe there was one person right off the, the, right at the beginning that, that had some concerns about the policy and we directed it at that time to, uh, to the board. Sometimes clear messaging from uh, frequently asked questions to mm-hmm. um, open chat lines that might help in terms of answering some of the questions at the, uh, when the ACOM or AOT is nearing. Absolutely. And at, at ACOM.org slash AOHC, we have our, uh, our COVID-19 health and safety policies outlined for additional information. So we, we do have um, a full page of reference materials regarding our uh, our plans for, for COVID-19 health and safety on our website. Thanks. Uh, it's been really enlightening. I uh, look forward to AOC 2022, and uh, I think uh, uh, we're excited to meet in person for sure. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Nabil. Thank you, Dr. Doss. And thank you, Heather. Thank you, everyone. I'm, I was excited to be here and happy to participate. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back with another edition of COVID Conversations. Can you believe AOHC 2022 is right around the corner? The theme for this year's American Occupational Health Conference is shaping the future of OEM. The four-day program will guide occupational medicine providers to manage changes in the field and thrive in this constantly evolving healthcare environment. AOHC sessions cover a multitude of OEM-related topics, and over 100 sessions are scheduled in six different tracks. Emerging issues in surveillance, environmental medicine, climate change, and toxicology, OEM clinical practice, regulatory, legal, military, or government OEM, worker well-being, and workers' compensation, case management, and return to duty. Visit acom.org AOHC for information and rates. ACOM is excited to meet in person this year, and we can't wait to see you in Salt Lake City this May as we shape the future of OEM at AOHC 2022.